Welcome to the Career Guy Podcast, a chance to talk with different people and share stories about their careers and career paths, giving you an insightful look at different careers that do exist. Here's your host, Mickey Horvath. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Patricia Ballone, or better known as Dr. Pat. Dr. Pat is a certified functional medical practitioner. She has been trained in being a chiropractor and an acupuncturist. She is a coach, public speaker, author, entrepreneur, and a leader in helping people live better lives. In this interview, Dr. Pat talks about how she took her passion for science and medicine and wanted to make people's lives better. In doing so, she talks about how she made the decision to attend chiropractic school as opposed to the more traditional road of medical school. She provides insight on how she acquired an existing chiropractic practice and how she grew that into a thriving business and then sold it. This then leads us to the next chapter in her life, attending acupuncture school and her experiences there. She provides some insightful stories regarding her life, such as experiencing burnout, which then led her to take a break and then regroup, which led her to develop her online venture in conjunction with writing her book, Why Are You So Sick and Tired and Fat? This interview will appeal to anyone that is interested in being a chiropractor, acupuncturist, or just a health practitioner. Entrepreneurship is discussed and some surprising lessons in networking. Writing and publishing a book and developing an online business are also talked about. In addition, this interview is an educational, entertaining, and inspiring story. It is full of discussion on living healthier and better, as Dr. Pat is a real authority on this. And with that, I'd like to welcome Dr. Pat. So today I'm interviewing Dr. Pat or Patricia Ballone. Did I pronounce that name right? You did. That's awesome. Perfect. And this is going to be an interesting interview because Dr. Pat, as she's known, she's definitely into health sciences or healthcare, and she has an extensive career. So we're going to walk through that career. But she definitely is more inclined towards the Eastern ways. Would you say that's right? I would say that I'm inclined to alternative ways because Eastern medicine really focuses on like Oriental, Asian, you know, type of roots and have had training in both. Okay. Well, fair enough. We're going to walk through your career. So anybody who's interested in getting into health sciences or health care would probably really benefit from this interview. And not to mention, you'll probably give a lot of tidbits of advice for living better and healthier. Well, I've got a huge toolbox with all those and information that's very true. That's true. So right now, let's just start off with your career. So I know right now you live in Florida. Is that right? I am. Yeah. But you didn't grow up in Florida. Where, where did you grow up? And can you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, I was born and bred in the Midwest. Uh, and I went to school for my undergraduate in the Midwest. And then I went to chiropractic school in Georgia. And I went to acupuncture school at some point in time, years later, down in Miami. Okay, let's go back to your undergraduate. What did you say your undergraduate was in? I had a master's in zoology and a minor in behavioral psychology. I was very interested in animal behavior then and how animals talk to each other, so to speak. And then, you know, from that and realizing that my father might be right, I had all the education to go to medical school, which is the same studies, except for maybe a couple courses. And so I took those couple courses and a friend of mine was telling me, you should be a chiropractor. You'd be so good at it, blah, blah, blah. And I said, chiropractors are whacks. Why would you ever want to do that? And so I went and worked at the University of Michigan Hospital as a patient relations advocate and for independent studies. So I'm not on their roster of actually have ever paid me, but I got a grade. And from that experience, I decided that being a medical doctor was not what I wanted to do because in the time span that I was there, I really never saw anybody get well. And the only people that were happy in the hospital were in the maternity ward. 
No, fair enough. You really brought a good perspective on that one. So this yep. was during your undergraduate that you were working at this hospital in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And how long did you work there actually? It was just for an independent study. It was for a whole semester. It was like for three and a half months, something like that. I got let go earlier. But like let me note that I get the passing grade because it was either pass fail. But I had a conversation with somebody in the cancer chemo ward. I ran into a guy in the hallway and I said to him, you know, like, hey, I didn't, haven't met you yet. And he goes, it doesn't matter. I'm going to die in six weeks anyway. <laughs> I thought, what, really? I said, who told you that? And so he had this story about this is what happened, and blah, blah, blah. I, I kind of wondered, like, well, what made you so sick in the first place? And, and then secondly, and what I said to him, which is I said, if someone gave me that diagnosis, I'd be out of here in a nanosecond. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well... If I only had six weeks to live, I would think like, what are the top five things that I want to do during that time? And I would go do them. And then I would show them how you could beat the odds of not paying attention to what someone tells you. I like that attitude. So, okay. So you worked in the hospital during your undergraduates. This was which university that you graduated from? As an undergraduate? At Eastern Michigan University. And it was in behavior psychology and zoology. Was that right? Zoology was my major. Okay. And my minor was in psychology. Okay, so you obviously had a passion for science. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if I understand everything correctly, you left that and you went right into acupuncture school. Is that right? No. No. When I did that, I had a friend of mine who was asking me what I was going to do with my life. And so I said to him, he was my age, and he was going to chiropractic school. He goes, you should become a chiropractor. And what I said earlier is that I had just a couple of classes to go to chiropractic school. And so I took those classes and I applied to go to chiropractic college and I went. And then I was a chiropractor for many years. I didn't go to acupuncture college until probably 2006. Okay. Let's talk about chiropractic school. Obviously, a friend of yours referred or suggested that you pursue this because uh-huh. something came out of you that you belonged in that area. But you said a few minutes ago there were a bunch of quacks. But nonetheless... My father did. Your, your father did. I'm sorry. Your father did. <laughs> My father did. But okay, so yeah. what did your father think when you applied for chiropractor school? And where much was chiropractor school located? School was in Atlanta, Georgia. And my father told me if I went to chiropractic college, he wasn't funding me to go to college. And I said, see you later. And I said, watch me. And so I went. I had lungs. I said, there's ways to go to school. Everybody else has lungs. So I'm going to get a lung. I'm going to go to school. And so that's how I went. And when I graduated, I got married, and my husband was French, and so we had to wait for his working papers, and we went back up to Michigan for where I'm from, and he found a job with a chiropractor in Michigan, and I was doing freelance work, and I did filled in for doctors who were on vacation, and I found a practice when I was in Massachusetts on one of those freelance events and showed it to my husband. I said, we should buy this. It was a practice that was underserved and undervalued, and we bought it, and we moved to Cape Cod, and I had the practice for 10 years. Um, We ended up splitting up, and he went his own way, but I kept the practice in Cape Cod for 10 years and sold it, and I moved to Boston. Okay. You threw a lot at me there, so let's just reverse the hands of time a little bit. So I'm interested, chiropractic school, anybody who's listening to this and that is interested in chiropractic school, why don't you give us a brief description of what chiropractic school is like? Well, if you want to get command of your life and command of your thoughts and command of your wellness and help thousands of people get well and stay well and have their optimum health and wellness, it's the perfect profession. Okay. How so? Like, What kind of classes do you take? How long, first of all, how long is the program? My program was three years, but I believe it's now four years. But you have all the science courses that medical doctors have, except for courses that relate to prescription drugs. And so you don't study that chiropractic because you're doing things naturally. You're helping the innate intelligence of how for your body to heal itself and help your body function better. A structure is function. Let me sum that up. There's three components that make you sick. One is trauma, and that relates back to structure function, which I'm talking about. Another one is toxins, and the other one are your thoughts. So in that triangle of thoughts, toxins, and trauma, they all relate together. And if they're all congruent with each other, then you have more of an opportunity to express better health. 
I've seen people have the flu, like throw up in my office and I'd get them adjusted. And three hours later, they're calling me back saying like, man, I don't know what you did, but whatever you did, that was really cool. <laughs> That's like, I feel so much better. It's interesting what you're saying about chiropractic school, because a lot of us think chiropractors just work with the skeletal. But it isn't. You have to know how to adjust the skeletal part of it. But health is much more than just an adjustment. Pain's not a lifestyle. But people are so complacent that they don't do anything until they are pushed to shove or they're in a crisis. And when they're in a crisis, they expect you to do miracles. And a lot of times you can do them. Other times, it's just like, I'm so sorry, it's too late. You see that all the time when people keep on doing signs and symptoms that I call Grim Ripper syndrome. And then they go to the doctor to find out that they have stage four cancer. And then they buy the cancer. You've got to go back to basics. you got to know what your baselines are. And you can't put the car before the horse. A lot of people think driving the jalopy is like driving a Ferrari for their body. And other people think that a Mustang is like a Ferrari. But if you want a Ferrari body and mind, health, and spirit, then you have to have all the components that are there in order to make that happen. This is interesting because you're definitely ahead of your time. I mean, this is way back. What year was this? 1981. 1984 is when I went to chiropractic school. So this is really revolutionary thinking back then in 1984, or 1981 to 1984. Yeah, in part. I had one of my mentors in chiropractic said, what you got isn't necessarily what you got. I mean, because you could have signs and symptoms. That's what differential diagnosis is all about in Western medicine. You go in, you say, hey, doctor. I've got a cough and I'm sneezing and I also, I can't sleep at night. I'm waking up with night sweat. I'm constantly going to the bathroom and I'm losing weight. What he's going to say is, well, we have to do more tests, see exactly what it is that you do, what's going on with you. Whereas Chinese doctor would say, okay, and what color is the urine? What do your poos look like? And what time is that when that happens when you wake up in night sweats? And what are you eating for food? What are you doing that's nutrient-dense for your body so you can have better health? It's just a different mindset. Asian or Chinese medicine is very similar to Western medicine, except for they go to the root cause. But they do treat by symptom basis pretty much all the time. They don't look at the big picture. Chiropractic looks at the big picture and go, here's where you're at. Where do you want to go? And if you don't have good structure, you're never going to have good function. So that structure part of it is an essential part of it. But if you look at that, the brain controls and coordinates all functions of the body and all the organ systems that it connects to is much like a Swiss watch. A piece of hair on a nerve can interfere with how that nerve talks to the brain and the brain telling that nerve track of what that function has to be done. I mean, in very simplistic terms. So I have adjustments where I've had people walk in crying because they can't move and, and they get adjusted and they go like, wow, what did you do? And I just follow what the body's telling me to do. And if you listen wisely, you get better answers. And when you have better answers, it's like having a checklist so that you know what your next best steps are. I have this, this, and this, and this. Well, that leads to that. Okay, this, this, and this leads to that. You know, so when someone tells me some things that they're doing or symptoms that they're doing, then I will compare that. I mean, it's just natural to take a big picture and put the pieces of the puzzle together. A lot of people have very difficult time putting puzzles together because they don't get what objects really look like and what the edges are. It's almost like a flow chart, the way you're describing it to me. Yes, okay. that's what they call analog Western medicine, that analog system that people been with this bang, it, then it goes down. It's either this or this. If it's this, then it goes bang, 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 bang. And it's just like if you hit a no over there, then it goes like over, it moves it back over to a certain area. And it's just like, but you, we learned to do that in our heads <laughs> in 1981. So then just before we move on with the rest of your career, if anybody's listening right now that's interested in going to chiropractic school, what would you like to pass on to them? I think if you're true to yourself, and you want to have better health for yourself, because if you can help yourself, you can help somebody else. But you cannot nurture somebody else. You cannot help somebody else if you can't help yourself first. Very good lesson for being in self-care and being able to monitor that. I even know chiropractors who don't get adjusted on a regular basis. So I always think to me, it was so odd. I mean, I wouldn't get adjusted every week from a friend of mine that was a chiropractor where I lived. 
And I saw him probably more than most of his patients did, but he didn't teach that. You have to teach people. That's your job is to help people understand why they're doing what they're doing and understand the components of health, why nutrition is important and proper exercise, proper rest, positive mental attitude and positive mindset. You're never going to achieve anything unless you have that mindset component in place because it's going to keep on knocking you back or you had some childhood trauma that happened to you that you've never, ever dealt with or positioned or even knew that it was bothering you. But you keep on having these blocks as an adult and keep on running into the ceiling and going like, why can't I be successful? It's just like you've got to take a look at what the origin of some of that trauma is and behaviors that you have now that prevent you from being all that you possibly can be and live to be your full human potential. And that's what I help people with is to have those breakthroughs. Well, that's what's popping into my mind is if you are searching for a chiropractor, that's a good way to evaluate a chiropractor or even a doctor or a physician. It's just somebody who looks at your whole and everything about you, opposed to just going and saying, I need to be cracked a couple of times to put me back into alignment. It's looking at the entire picture. I asked a friend's father when I wrote my book in my international bestseller, while well, wiry, sick, fat, and tired, when I was asking him something, he was sitting there and I said, do you have any arm pain? And he said, no. And my girlfriend was sitting there. She goes, dad, you have hand pain. And he goes, yeah, but that's my hand. I said, what do you think the hand is connected to? Like the arm. And what do you think, where do you think the nerves and muscles and tendons come from that help you with your hand? <laughs> it's like, ta-da. And the light went on. But a lot of people don't have that conception. Okay, so let's just move on with your career because there's a lot we need to talk about and time is yeah. going to run out on us and I don't want that to happen. So you graduated from chiropractic school. If I understood everything correctly a few minutes ago, your former husband was a chiropractor as well and you guys mm -hmm. opened up a practice. Is that right? On Cape Cod. Yep, on Cape, Cape Cod. Cod. Yeah. So what was that like, opening up your own practice? I didn't open you? it up. We bought a practice. That That's was right. This. And so... That was a process. I mean, I went into a bank and to get a loan for the, just to open a practice. And then we went and got, talked about it and we found this practice for sale. So we already had income coming in. And the woman at the bank, she refused our loan because she didn't believe herself because she was making loans upon her own beliefs, whether or not we were going to be successful enough to make $200,000 a year. And I said, if I don't make $200,000 a year, that's gross income for an office. I said, then I went to the wrong school. And she was looked very perplexed. And I said, well, approximately, you know, 60% of your overhead, I said, goes to expenses. So out of that 200, you're only talking $80,000 to be able to, for two people to live on. That wasn't very much money. Really, I mean, you buy a house, you had to have a, each of you had to have a car. Food was so less expensive then, but it wasn't really a lot of money in the big game plan of life. If I did the math right, so this was probably what in the mid late eighties, I would say. They bought that practice in nineteen eighties five. Okay, nineteen eighty five. So, so nineteen eighty six. So you ended up getting the loan, and you end up taking over the, With the SBA. And so, what's the SBA? The uh, Small Business Administration, that's in the United States. There are places like that all over, like in Canada also, too, that people can get money from if they're looking for fund something like that and for other projects, too. There's a lot of hoops and there's a lot of paperwork to go through. But the guy who my husband met, I was working at the time, somebody had to work, who could work, and they put the loan together so that it went in front of the person who was overseeing the loans and approving them. They said yes. And so we got the loan and we were asking for a lot of money. This practice was only on the market for 20000 We were not talking big bucks. So even that the bank would not loan money for $20,000 was like totally beyond me. About two years after that, they came begging for our business and we're like, see you later. <laughs> no, no, thank you. I, don't, I already have a banker that I deal with. I need something, I call them up, but it's like that and get what I need to have. So I had very good working relationships with financial institutions on Cape Cod. So then that's a skill that you've obviously developed over the years as well. Yeah. I mean, you have to. If you don't, you die in business. You have to know your bottom line. You have to know how many people you can serve, how many people you want to serve. 
how many people and it comes if you notice i'm using the word serve not make money so i never looked at the money part of it i looked at like how many spaces do i have on my calendar on my schedule for today that are open tell me how many people i have and then tell me how many spaces open i have and then i look at who was coming in they were more complex or the other then i could make decisions if i could add people in during that hour or not because people always had some they had heat ice or some massage or they had something that went on before they saw me and so that was an important factor knowing how to do that business and i also oversaw everything that went out of the business paper wise because i said you know you don't want to make a mistake on paper because when you do it's just like there's always that one person who is the nerd in the class that always said i prefer e except after c (laughs) that kind of thing so I always had like five eyes on a piece of any marketing we put out in public. So you own this practice for 10 years. Did I hear that right? Yep. So in 10 years, when you bought over the practice, it sounds like the practice itself was not running well. It was running well for him. He wasn't motivated. The person who we bought it from wasn't motivated. He only wanted to see 20 people a week or whatever his number was. I don't remember but for 30 people a week. For him, that was a big leak. That wasn't a big leak for me. That was the day. That was the morning. So it's just a relatively scale for what he had. I walked out of the office for meeting him, and I looked at my husband, and I said, we can smoke this. This would be so much fun. Thinking about being able to help sell masses of people go from point A to point C in the shortest period of time and be able to reach their greatest goals. How cool is that? I think I did what, this was, it was like, oh my God, God gave me a gift. I'm not going to say no to this one at all. I said, I think we should go for it. So then I just want to get into a little bit more details about how you grew this practice. Again, a couple of minutes ago, were you saying you would look at the timetable, you would look at patients and you assess, okay, how much care some would take and how much less some other patients would take. But aside from that, how do you grow something like that? When you take over something. Easy. Okay, that's right. You become very involved in your community. Easy. And you can't be scared to stop and ask people about their health on the street. I would just stop them and say, this isn't the appropriate place to do this. But if you'd like to come in my office, I'll give you a complimentary. Here's my card. Here's my initials on it. Call up. I said, make a Mr. Regular appointment. I said, when you come in, I will not charge you for the consultation. But if I have to do, I can if we do go forward and do an exam. And I said, if we do have to do x-rays, I said, there'll be a charge for the x-rays, but they won't be charged for the consultation or the evaluation. I go, and then what will happen after that, we'll have a report of findings. But here's my card. This is not the place to talk about this. This is my off time. I was very, I had a huge boundary for when I wasn't working. So, and then you go out and meet people. You go find the Q1. You find the Rotary Club. And you go and do an eight-minute presentation for them. And so people get to know you. You, know, you shop at local areas. And you leave your card. You invite them into your office. You invite them in to have better health. And you do things like that and you shake hands, you go to an event. Any place you go, you're at an airport, any place you go. I used to walk up to people at airports and say, how long have you had an SI problem on the right side? And they go, SI? I go, yeah. And I put my finger right on their back, right? You know, it's like, oh, you've had a problem there for a long time, right? And I said, because it's affecting how your other knee is functioning. Oh, I'm scheduled for knee surgery. I said, you should go find a really good chiropractor. Where do you live? And I'm like, let me think, do I know anybody there? It's just like, and then I would, if I thought of somebody, I would give them the name and tell them that Dr. Pat sent you. And you met me in Atlanta Airport, or you met me in Miami, or you met me in Rome, or you met me in London. I always referred out, and I never really saw anybody that I met at the airport. They always, because they always lived someplace else, and they were going someplace else other than when I was going. So... It's, it's easy. It's not hard to network. It's just networking. So in 1996, you sold your practice. Mm-hmm. You kind of meandered a bit. And at some point, somebody told you that you will be practicing more health, but on a larger scale. But at some point, you looked at acupuncture school. And that was about 2006 when you left Boston to go to Miami to go to acupuncture school. So what made you look at acupuncture school? Well, my ancestor was the apothecary to Marie Demodici and Henri Cotton House of Bourbon. And so, and his son, Louis Bear, his name was Nicholas, and Louis Bear went and settled Quebec City for in 1600, 1605 or something like that. 
And he was hired by the, the country of France to settle Quebec for France and make a settlement because of his skills as an apothecary. So that's my background in that. And I was always fascinated by that. And I was always fascinated by diet and nutrition from even at a very young age and acid-based indicators and things like that and for science fairs. And you pick it up from the very beginning and I've always had a huge interest in science. But that's where some of that interest came. And so I've always pursued that. And what I learned when I was in chiropractic school, I always learned there's always something you can do. Someone told me that there's only one way. I mean, like, look at the, the people who perished in the World Trade Centers on 9-11. Some of those people stayed there because they were told help was coming. I would never have stayed in that building. I like forward things that make my world around and propel me forward is that I love challenges and I like making sense of challenges so that people can get unstuck and they can move forward in a safer, quicker, simpler way that's perfect for them. Because what I do is very individualized per person. Okay. Everyone has a different DNA. But acupuncture school, you have been free because you moved to Miami to go to acupuncture school. Obviously, mm -hmm. it was something in your background or in your DNA, as you described a few minutes ago. And you're interested in science, so obviously interested in health, which is why you pursued acupuncture school. But so what's acupuncture school like? Yeah. So for people <laughs> that are listening that are going, okay, I'm interested in acupuncture school. First of all, how long is the program? How long are you looking at? Three years. It's the same as chiropractic school. In most cases, I mean, some places, if they're only teaching acupuncture, then it's less in England. They have separate entities for how they teach acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. There are two different things over there. I wanted to go to a school that had both of them together, and I wanted to go to a school that was going to get me out as fast as possible because the laws were always changing and there were new laws coming out for acupuncturists that I wanted to be grandfathered in and not part of trying to struggle and get identity, whatever forces there were, like the boards now have you and what, what hoops you've got to jump to go from point A to point C. So my first acupuncture mentor just told me to go, Pick a school. This doesn't matter. The degree is the same no matter where you go. What kind of classes do you take in the three years? Well, see, it's changed. When I first did acupuncture, you just studied Chinese medicine. Now you just have to study Western medicine also. So in the school that I was going to, they were just upgrading their system in order to be able to do that. And so when they were upgrading their system to do that, they added a bunch of Western medicine classes. So in those Western medicine classes, I was exempt from them because I already did them. But in another school I went to, they wanted me to go back and repeat that again because I had psychology 20 years ago. I said, it hasn't changed. <laughs> he had clinical experience. So I wrote that school loss like at that conversation and didn't proceed to go forward with it. But having the acupuncture, if you have choices, you have to understand the foundation. No matter what you do, it's just like in your health. You have to have that foundation. You have to know what your foundation is. So you study the foundational components of it, and then you keep on adding to it. So there's point location class. So for me, it was like so super easy, point location class, because I studied the human body. I mean, I had eight points taken off. Where someone told me that I didn't know where the spinous process was on a human being. I went, are you kidding me? You know how many people I've adjusted, and who, especially their L5? So this is like, it's learning how to do things in their system. So I studied in Mandarin when I studied Chinese herbs. There's like 474 of them that they recognized at the time that they were teaching. So you had to know everything about those herbs. You had to know their name. And some people in a lot of schools, they let you study either in English or in Chinese. But I thought it'd be interesting to study in Chinese for some reason. Um, but, you know, this is like, so when I took those courses, they always had, in tests, they always had the English and the Chinese name up when you're saying, like, what are the four ingredients for swan sour and tongue, which is a, a, a really great formula, by the way, to help people go to sleep without any side effects. There's a lot to learn. There's patterns in the body because they look at patterns. They look at base components. They look at the root problem. Western medicine doesn't never look at your root problem until you're dead. That's the root problem. <laughs> okay. Why don't you define what acupuncture really is? And let's just go in a little bit more into the schooling and what you learned. Acupuncture is like your computer in solving problems. So there's points on the body that relate to certain organ systems. And the Chinese discovered that by the Yellow River. And they noticed somebody at, I can't remember what dynasty it was at, 
noticed that things were always carried down the river. And they thought that it was this the metaphor for how you eat and the analogy for that. So you have something where it's being produced, and then you have to take it to where it's going to be consumed. And then it's utilized in your body. There's channels in the body that take that and put it into certain places and being able to utilize it. And that gives you better health. The Chinese always think that if you have good stomach chi and chi is energy, that you'll always be healthy. That's a huge component of maintaining health and being healthy. So for me, and I practiced acupuncture a little bit different because of my chiropractic background and the kinesiology and other techniques that I've ever did. And so I used Chinese medicine as a pinpoint for looking at how to get rid of or the emotional component so that when someone got up off the table, they had even better results. So it's just an adjunctive thing that I did that was never taught in school, but it made sense to me. So acupuncture is just using the needle portion of it, but acupuncture is even more powerful if you really want to have a really powerful session, is doing acupuncture plus the herbs. And not just doing like herbs from some pill, but doing like raw herbs is probably the best combination to go from point A to point C in the quickest, shortest period of time. I've seen people who had regular degeneration, you know, macular degeneration, regain their eyesight in their 80s. <laughs> so let me just reiterate what I'm hearing from you so I see if I understand it and just to make it a little bit more clear when people are listening. Well, first of all, the way you described it with your chiropractic background, it was just a great compliment to acupuncture mm-hmm. that the two just really merged really well together. And we'll get into this in a few minutes. You've actually taken that into your health practice right now. Mm-hmm. But as far as acupuncture is concerned, it's a combination of studying herbs, which you took in class or which you took in school, and in conjunction with how the body flows, basically, when you describe to me the river and when you eat food, and it's just the way your body flows. And that's the whole idea of when you go to an acupuncturist and they're using the needle. I'm not sure if I'm understanding this correctly. They're breaking up the flow of certain patterns in your body. It depends if a person is in excess or if they're in deficiency. So if a person who's in excess is going to feel pain more. person who's in deficiency, when they're getting a massage, you're going, can't you do that any harder? And just as a simple explanation for that. And so when she, which is the energy, slowing in your body is supposed to be free-flowing. When it gets stuck someplace, it stagnates. When it stagnates, it becomes excess. So when you have a deficiency, you need more of something someplace and you don't have it, that gets deficient. That has, you like, I want more, for instance. I'm more thirsty. That was a, a good example. So when you're looking at somebody's functioning, you basically are treating the same thing Western medicine treats with acupuncture. But there's also herbs, and herbs are something you do in addition to the acupuncture that helps the acupuncture be even better and have better results when you're having the acupuncture done. So if you're going to see an acupuncturist, a good acupuncturist is going to do more than just lay you on a table and, excuse me for my ignorance, just put needles into you. They need to do a long intake. Acupuncture intakes are long, and they're looking at your pulse because your pulse on your wrist means something on both sides. They're looking at your face. They're looking at your constitution. They're looking at your skin. They're looking in your eyes. They're looking how your the skin shape about your sleep. They look at everything. <laughs> and a good acupuncture is going to do that. Now, Chinese, the old Chinese guys that I've been treated by, some of them, they can diagnose you just from your pulse and your tongue. They have years, centuries of wisdom that has been passed down by the DNA in their systems in order to be able to share that with people. So I've seen people who get adjusted and they get acupuncture in their low back and it helps their control their pain. I mean, look at the acupuncture first came out of the scene and anybody who works this up can find it really easily. When Richard Nixon went to China and they watched, they observed somebody getting operated on without any anesthesia and just using acupuncture. But it's more than just using acupuncture. They also use stimulation where they had electrodes hooked up to be able to control the frequency of what was going on in that area where they were doing surgery. When you're graduating, you obviously have a good idea of the human body, but definitely from the Eastern way of looking at things. Well, I had a good idea of the human body before I even went to acupuncture school, right? 
But coming out of acupuncture school, I just thought it was an extra tool. Okay. So when you graduated at acupuncture school, this is in 2009. Am I right about that? In Miami. Am I right about Mm -hmm. that? Yep. Okay. So what did you do afterwards? I went on a road trip. Okay. You know, that was another time I was really burnt out because when you graduate from how much studying I did, I was studying like six hours a day and for two years. And so I packed my house up and got in my car. I always wanted to go cross country. So I drove it. And I had a friend who gave me destinations along the way to stop. And I'd stop to see my mentor sister and Grand Junction. But I drove across the highest point, not Flybrass, Orlando, drove across the highest point on the Rockies, spent some time in Vail in that area, and then went out to California and then went up. And I headed through the Gopi Desert, if that's the name of it, and ended up back in Las Vegas. Uh, my sister lived there, and I turned my car into what I always called the Italian mob in Las Vegas. And my car was up for lease that I drove out there. It was very comfortable. And when I turned it in, I was thinking about buying it. I'm going to continue driving to Boston. And when I told the guy, I said, well, maybe I'll change my mind. I said, let's work on the price. He goes, lady, your car's already off the lot. I was literally giving the keys, and it was seven minutes. That's why I'm like, okay, let's move on. And then I went to Europe. And I was working in an office in Barcelona. And the, the problem there is really, it's not just Spanish, it's Catalan. And also this doctor that was there gave me his worst patients to work on. They wanted to have that miracle pill cure from one treatment. And that was never going to happen. What kind of work did you do there? We acupuncture. Acupuncture. Okay. So you're working as an acupuncturist in you know, Barcelona, of all places. Yeah, in Barcelona. And then I went to Geneva, Italy. And then from there, I flew up to London for Christmas. And then I came back to Spain after Christmas and flew back to Spain, which has the most beautiful Christmas decorations I've ever seen in any city I've ever traveled to. But I came back to the States and then I decided, what is it that I really want to do and where is it that I really want to be? And that was a toss-up point for me because I didn't have any restrictions. I didn't have to be by my family. I didn't have children that they need to be by their grandparents or they people think their kids need to be by their grandparents, which is good because family's good. That's actually a neat thing to be in where you're not tied to anything. You have all the freedom in the world. It's also a huge problem, too. When I came back from that experience then, I I was looking around, where do I already have licenses? And I wanted to go down to Washington, D.C. I had a, a boyfriend and he went down to D.C. And when I went to go down to D.C., the board in D.C., at that time, they had a very corrupt mayor. And I would say the board of medicine at the time, incredibly corrupt also. It, it followed suit. But I was told that they didn't petition for my licensure as a chiropractor. It was going to go into a shred. They were going to put it in a shred machine. And they offered me my money back at the time. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. What actually happened that would instigate something like that? Well, it wasn't anything I did. It's just that they didn't like chiropractors and they didn't like acupuncturists. I was out to dinner actually one time with a friend of mine who I was going to work in her office as an acupuncturist to treat her patient. And she was doing physical therapy. And she said, she invited this guy who sat on the board because she knew I was having problems with the board. And I'm going, what am I missing? But the first guy I ever talked to at the board told me I'd have my chiropractic license by endorsement exactly matching what I had because I'm in good standing in all the states that I'm in. So in two weeks, and then they fired him. And I'm going, that's not good. So I was in his pile of people who he probably promised up to that he did or wasn't supposed to do. I don't know. But when I went to go apply, I applied for a full licensure. And I told the board they were they're not reading their own statute correctly. And so they did a petition to the chiropractic board for every member of the chiropractic board. And all the pieces of the puzzle had to go to this one person who was the board of medicine director at the time. And she called me up at nine o'clock and told me, she said, I want you to listen to something because this is what's going to happen to your petition. And you heard a shredder. An attorney who used to work for the Democratic Party and for people who are secretary of state or the White House at one point in time had those level of connections. A friend of mine introduced me to, and he said, why don't you just try to become friends with them? And I said, you can't become friends with these people. It's impossible. They already made their mind up and they didn't want any more. And the guy who was the physical therapist on the acupuncture board in D.C. 
at the time said, so what kind of license are you trying to get? And I told him, he goes, well, that's your first problem in both regards. He goes, the board feels like it has enough of you here already. And they're not giving out any more license. They give a token license here or there. And he said, but I'll look and see what's on your agenda. But he said, I don't know who you irritated. But he said, and he was not, he was being polite and not mentioning any names or anything like that. And I promised I wouldn't quote him. But it was something that was going on with other people who were trying to get their licenses in D.C. also. And I had in front of mine who had, had to walk away from a practice that she had for 10 years in D.C. because the people who she was trying to sell it to couldn't get a license in D.C. D.C. wouldn't allow the license. So what did you end up doing then? I did selling work. When doctors went on vacation, I covered their practices for them. And I gave in them Washington. In Washington. Not in Washington. I'm not allowed to practice in Washington. Okay, so you weren't in Washington because the, uh, you weren't allowed to practice in there. So did you go back to Florida? Is that no. What? No, no I, would, I had added Virginia license. I see. Oh, I see. Okay. I have licensure chiropractic in numerous states. When I first got out of school, I said, take your boards now because every state has a different board and a different requirement. Take whatever state you might think you ever live in so that when you graduate, you can always have choices. And I didn't take my Florida board for a chiropractic, but I did have my acupuncture license, which gives me the ability to practice acupuncture. And a lot of things in acupuncture and chiropractic really are overlap, except for the needle part. But you can do dry needling in Florida. So when you graduate then with your acupuncture degree and even with a chiropractic degree, so then that, that means you can or you can't practice throughout the United States or even in Canada? No, you, each, state, each state has their own rules. Okay. It's, it's, it, you, have, you first have to take national boards in both of them. So what's a national board? What's exactly? They're just exams. Just exams. Just exams. Okay. Topics. Okay. It's like some, I have taken about a physical therapy board. It never occurred to me to ask anybody for class notes of what they were being taught in school at that time. I just went and did the review and I went in and go take the test, you know, for the, the board itself. And I passed it. But, but I thought about it after and go, that was dumb. <laughs> I missed that mark on that one. But the point is that you, you pass, look, you pass, you pass. But there's questions on the boards that are supposed to represent things that you should know. And so you have to have a certain a percentage of those correct. It all depends upon who the heck is writing the question and where they're getting their resourcing their answer from. So some of those are, they serious? There's not a right answer to this. <laughs> that sucks. You're thinking like, okay, like when in doubt, answer C, because there's not even a rhyme or reason sometimes. You go to any school for studying things that you have to memorize. You're studying for recognition. You're not studying for your life. It's like a really great tip if you're going to go to medical school, if you're going to go to chiropractic school or acupuncture school or any school that you have to memorize a ton of information for, study for memory. Because anything that's referenced, there'll be a book for you after you get your lifers. So study for memory, basically. Study, you study for recognition. So let's just go on with your career then. So you're in Virginia now, is that right? I was living in D.C. and I was in Virginia. And I had an opportunity in Florida to join a doctor in creating a functional medicine practice. Okay. And then, with, which would have put me back at brick and mortar. But the idea was to... Posture it so that other doctors doing what you do, but you're just sitting at the preliminary pieces of the puzzle in there. That didn't pan out specifically. There was a, the person who was the par business partner in there had some issues for me, ethics. And so I just, I separated and divorced that situation. Okay. Then, then what did you do? Then I have my private practice. I just met people at the farmer's market when I was out shopping. And I went to pl certain places. People asked me what I did. And I said, my acupuncture, I always wanted to try it. And I said, well, here's my phone number. And I said, I, you know, I sell groups of 10 adjustments or 12 or 20 or 30. And so then I work out of my, of my own eye. Okay. So the practice that you just described, that you still have that right now, do you not? Or No. No. Oh, okay. Okay. All no, right. My mother gotten into an accident. And which required me to go back up north for about 10 months. So I just, I haven't practiced acupuncture per se on that level, unless it was like on a one-to-one. -one. And then I started coaching. So I, I don't, I use acupuncture as a VIP service for what I do. Okay. So how did you start 
let's just jump ahead there. So now you have a product or a service where you're, you're coaching people and you're using all, if I'm not mistaken, you, you left that practice as an acupuncturist, you went up and helped your mother because she got into a bad accident. So now you, I'm assuming that you just started this coaching service. Is that right? No, you don't just start coaching. Fiverr became prevalent on LinkedIn and looking for a platform to be able to be recognized on. And so, you know, that, that I would meet, used to always ask me for, what should I do for this? And I would give them all the goods. And then a guy that I knew said, you should charge people for that. So I started charging people for it. Yeah. In other words, people were coming up to you and asking you all these questions, health-related, obviously, mm -hmm. or mental health-related, and you were just guiding them and suggesting things to them. So the aha moment sort of came off or went off in your head saying, well, you know what? I should set up a coaching service. Is, am, I right? am I reading this right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. then what's the coaching service called? Dr. Pat. Ask Dr. Dr. Pat. Pat. Okay. It's named after two little boys that came in my office when I was a chiropractor on Valentine's Day. First Valentine's, after I got divorced, and they came in with long stem red roses and those cute little Valentine's cards. And they came in like, Dr. Pat, Dr. Pat, where are you? Dr. Pat, I got something for you. And I came out in the hallway, and they're like, Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> with the long stem red roses, I said, can you teach older men how to do that? You could make a lot of money. So anyway, doing it virtually. My struggle was, is that people who didn't know me weren't going to trust what I said because I wasn't a trusted authority. And I also was kind of incognito for when I retired from having my practice. So I, my name wasn't out there on a regular basis. So when I finished acupuncture school, I thought about going back to Kate Cod and went into my old office. And this woman goes, you can't come in here. I said, why is that? And she said, because nobody's going to want to see me. They're only going to want to see you. You don't know how people talk about you all the time. And she was a good chiropractor. And I was an excellent chiropractor. So in looking for a solution, I went and did some courses. So I learned how to build a website. I went and did some courses about communication and look for my ideal. What is it that I want to bring to the world that is so magnificent that everyone's going to go, I want that. And so for me, it's my health, but I understand health, but people don't understand their health and they don't understand how vitally important and how perhaps sometimes they were misled by Western medicine and certain things. So let's just go back to how you're starting to build up your coaching service. You said a few minutes ago that you weren't really, you were incognito for a while. So mm -hmm. you, you took a bit of a break. So you weren't really well known. And now you're entering, you're building a website. You're obviously using your social media strength, but still a lot of people don't know you. You kind of hinted about that. And so how do you build a business, a coaching business, when people really don't know you? How do you get your name out there so you become a lot more popular? What do you do? You use your mouth and you speak. And so and I never say no to a podcast. I mean, I've had a girl who was the first podcast that she ever did. And someone goes, oh, Dr. Pat, it's one in your caliber. You shouldn't be doing that because your listenership isn't so high. And I said, everyone needs somebody to help them start. But I always think that about karma is that what you put out there is what you get back. So when somebody needs to have somebody be on their show and they might not have the listenership, I don't care about doing it. I just think I help you. It's going to help me. And you're going to put it on air and people go back and listen to your first show. They're going to say, who's that person? And I've had people buy my books. I've had people call me up and tell me I'm speaking your language. My God, I can't believe it. I haven't heard anybody ever say what you said. And I always thought those are my people. So it's just being consistent. You have to be consistent with your message. And messages have changed for a lot of people. They did a huge side shuffle in three steps forward, 20 steps back, and 40 steps forward and 10 back during the pandemic. I had practices that I was covering that ended up canceling out on me for the rest of the year. And I had a significant chunk of change that went down the drain when that happened. And so I decided like, I'm going to start doing podcasts. And I first talked about my book. Nobody knew how to really ask the right questions in a podcast. This is what, whatever it is that, that they did, they didn't know how to take that to the next step and the next step and the next step. And so that 
when you're talking about what are your offers, I offer people a 12-week coaching program who want to work with me one-on-one. And you can find that on my website under the tab that says work with Dr. Pat. My website just came fresh yesterday and brand new again. And so that's there. It explains to you bits and pieces about it so that resonates with you and interests you. Then you move forward. But most of the stuff that I do is I do virtually. I used to have private clients in Virginia. So when I was driving down or through and going someplace else in Virginia, I would stop by their houses and I would work on them for six hours together. And I would do chiropractic, acupuncture, mind, body, soul, meditation, kinesiology, go grocery shopping with them and things like that. And they paid me a premium because they didn't have anybody who ever put the pieces of the puzzle together. And they had this one person who was telling them to do this. On, I think I'm going to take this supplement because this supplement is supposed to help grow my hair again. But I go, do you know what else is in there? There are estrogen disruptors. And there's some supplements that the inner ingredients, some steroid products, depending upon their source, are carcinogenic. So is it okay to take it for a short while? Maybe by doing that. If you don't know the end result, it's dangerous to play DIY doctor. You got to be able to put the right side and left side together. So obviously it's going back to knowing who you serve and serving people really well, which obviously probably led you to write this book. When did you write the book? I wrote the book in 2018. It was supposed to publish in 19. And a little bit of advice for anybody who wants to write a book, know your publisher before you give them any money. And that it took me eight months to get money back from this guy who didn't do what he said he was going to do. I finally did it and found a different publisher in 2019, December I think it was 15th or 17th, something like that, of 2019 that we had the pandemic. So it's really a great book for the pandemic because it showed you where to find where to start your health journey. It showed you your weakest link. And so many people's weakest links definitely manifested. You could tell by the number of deaths that were happening. And that what, all that told me is what I said in the beginning of 2010 when I read the CDC report, is that there's a lot of people who are sick and don't know it and knew it after they got the flu, which was called COVID. And so it's a guidebook, a workbook, and an advocating tool. And it's a place that shows you exactly where to spend your time, your energy, and your money. Everything funnels down to that in life. Time, energy, and money. Time, energy, and money. And when you do that, then you get to be free because then you're in control of your life of your health and of decisions. You can make better decisions moving forward because you have that checklist that allows you to do that. And that's what the book's all about. You have to know where to start your health journey. It's just like when you leave your house in the morning, you got to know what journey you're going to go and how I'm going to get to work. Where am I driving? I want to drive to Knoxville, Tennessee. What's my best route (laughs) to go that's most efficient? Don't you want to have a better, more efficient way to be healthy? that keeps you in a certain position, mind, body, and souls. I think it's a great thing to have and at least have the knowledge of those tools so you know how to apply them. What's the book called? I'm going to let you tell the title. I love this title. It is called Why Are You Sick, Fat, and Tired? And a a person in my business group said to me, I'm not any of those because people don't know that they're sick, right? So I said, well, I beg to differ with you. I said, you might look in a mirror and you can say, I'm fat or I'm skinny. And I said, and you know when you're tired, you want to go lay down and take a nap. Sometimes you bust through that and you keep on going, but you don't know if you're sick. Being sick, having chronic illness and disease, such as cancer, Alzheimer's even, diabetes, obesity, you know, things, obesity was never diagnosed until it became an epidemic. They still don't know how to treat it. And So it's that knowledge of how do I avoid that? How do I prepare myself so I don't have to go into a crisis in my life and I can age gracefully? Nobody grew up as a kid going, I want to get sick. (laughs) I'll take that one. I'll take chronic illness and disease. Nobody grew up with that. They have these childhood dreams, married or whatever they were, to travel, like the Vine Kilimanjaro, whatever it is, you know, but you can't have those dreams if you don't have your health. You need your health and your mind for everything. It's interesting that you bring that up because I wrote a blog. It was one of the first blogs that I wrote regarding career development. And it's the first thing I say is you have to assess your health first, regardless of what career you want to go into and what stage of life you're at. 
Of course, when you're younger, you take your health for granted because when you're younger, we tend to be healthier. But as we age, and I've interviewed enough people, as we age, we that's when issues start to pop up. And sometimes you really have to look at your health. And it could be the job that you're in or the career that you have that could be killing you, not to mention your lifestyle, but your career and your lifestyle are sort of inter, intermixed together. So it's interesting that you point that out. Yeah, you have to understand what the definition of health is anyway, that Merriam-Webster's dictionary says it's when your organs are functioning 100% of the time. Unfortunately, you felt that when your organs are functioning 100% of the time. And then who comes in in the 40s or something like that, you know, where they say it's not merely the absence of the disease or infirmities. It's the style, yes, I know, that's what's rapid science, you know, coming through there. But they also were forced in the 80s to even define it even further where you're talking about environment was a huge keyword that they used back in the 80s, where it has to do with how you interact with your environment and your community and the people that you love. There's certain specific verbiage for that, which I don't recall at this mere moment, but the but the verbiage is there. It is easy to Google that out. But I always teach from there. It's like, how do you make sense of that? You've got to put it in something that is tangible and makes sense. And this is where the Be Stronger Than Medicine program came from, is putting it in the five pillars of health and teaching the five pillars of health. Because you your foundation. you got to know where you're coming from so you know where you have the potential of going. What's your definition of health, then? My definition of health is when I teach it, and I teach this as being at your optimal peak performance, mind, body, and spirit all the time. And the five pillars? Of health are proper diet, proper exercise, proper sleep, positive mental attitude, positive mindset, and positive or proper posture, which relates to biomechanics and also structure as function. And you work with people one-on-one or you, and actually I should go into this though too, you've evolved into public speaking as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you go around teaching people, masses of people. I don't teach definition. them. I talk about what my program is and I talk about what I tell people what they're going to learn when they work with me and what they're going to learn about is health and what it is and that you need your mind for everything. But you have to master your thoughts. Like if you don't, you will get sick. This is the biggest undoer of the three T's, trauma, toxins, and thoughts that there is because it can undo the trauma and that even starts from when you're born and having inflammation in your neck because of the birthing process. And then also the toxins because from the air that we breathe, the water we drink, the food that we eat, the toxins that we use to clean our house, got to read labels. You got to read labels and also fertilizer. I mean, why is Roundup still on the market if they know that it is directly connected to Hodgkin's? That's cancer. It's just like, how does that work? In the area that I'm living right now, I used to live two blocks just on the other side. And there was a woman across the street who was people from around the world came to her house to see her garden because it was a waterless garden. She never had to water it. And I caught her one day when I was out. I said, what are you spraying there? And she said, it's Roundup. And I said, that's carcinogenic. And she said, well, it isn't if you know how to use it. Every dog that she had died of cancer. And she died of cancer too. How can all your, your three dogs and yourself have the same cancer? And because animals get the same diseases as humans do. You've opened up an interesting conversation, but I'm also watching the time here though too. <laughs> and you've had a really interesting career. I mean, obviously you're passionate about health and helping people out. That's quite clear, and you've had definitely an interest in science. You've actually pulled the two together. You went from going to chiropractic school and starting up your own practice, which lasted for about 10 years, and after that you left that because you were burnt out, and you met somebody who read your palms, basically, and said, well, you're going to be a mass teacher. You're going to quit the one-on-one, and you're going to be teaching to masses, and you didn't believe them at the time. And from that, basically, you kind of meandered a bit. You did jobs here and there, but you ended up going back to acupuncture school. And when you went back to acupuncture school, that was a great compliment to your chiropractic background. And uh, it's interesting what you were saying about acupuncture licensing and chiropractic licensing as well, which was good, good advice, is understand or realize what state you want to live in and make sure you get the license to work in that state. And no, you, or, or in the future, 
Or in the future, yeah. Yeah, or uh, in the future. If you think that California is going to be some place to go, know that the hardest licensure to get in any state is in Florida and in California. Yeah. But with that, though, too, you finally ended up back in Florida and you started up your own practice working with other physicians and whatnot. You, things weren't going well, but you, you started up your own um, coaching service, I should say. And this is actually where you are reaching out to the masses because a lot of the patients you're working with is virtual. You've got your website, which is also a tool, not to mention your book, and you're also public speaking as well about all this. So whoever you met in the 90s that said you're going to be dealing with or interacting with the masses, you definitely are. And it seems like you've been growing your business ever since then. So Mm -hmm. with all that said, with anybody who's listening that either wants to be, and you already kind of alluded to this, but whoever wants to go into become a chiropractor or whoever wants to be an acupuncturist or somebody who wants to just follow your footsteps or who's just listening and going, you know what, I don't even know what I want to do. And you have given bits of information about that throughout this interview, but with all that said, just wrapping it up, what advice would you like to pass on to anybody that's listening as regarding their career development or maybe even health for that matter, which tie the two together? Well, I always steal your bottom line. And when you go back to basics, they decide what kind of car you want to drive for a body, a jalopy, a Ford, or a Ferrari. And if you want to drive a Ferrari, make sure you have that checklist of all the maintenance that has to be done on a Ferrari in order for it to be excel and be the fine machine that it is that people admire. And lead by example. If you want the Mustang, then, you know, it's just hip replacements, knee replacements take that organ out kind of thing, what I consider a Mustang. The parts still work, but you can buy a new one for pretty cheap. But you're not putting any value for long term unless you put that Mustang in storage, like the 1966 Mustang. And jalopies is a saying in Virginia. I don't know if it's up there in Calgary or not. They call them beaters. You yeah, know, we and, have it, yeah. Yeah, beaters. And so everyone knows what a beater is. A beater is like a jalopy. It's just like when you beat the crap out of it, then you can buy another one. When you get them dirt cheap and you run them into the ground. But if you take care of yourself, because people need you to be there and people in the world needs you to be there, especially when I leave this world, it's a mess. What's going on right now is an absolute mess. And to climb out of it, you really need cautious people who are problem solvers and aren't worried about getting their hands dirty if they have to dig up a garden. They can't pass it off and their skills that are not being taught anymore. Know how to make your bed. Know how to have an herb garden. Know how to walk and be healthy and not be so stuck in front of the commerciality of things that distract you. Get rid of distractions. Get rid of toxic people. If they're a member of your family, at least him on holidays. And then create the space and time for being around people. Because there's a lot of people who are jealous of people who just naturally are happy. And so if you want to be happy, it's a choice. If you want to be successful, it's a choice. And if you want both of those, then take the right action steps and get the right mentor and coach that's going to support you to do that even faster. Words of wisdom from Dr. Pat. Jeez. And I really would like to thank her this morning for her time and efforts. And this was definitely a very fruitful and I think thought-provoking interview. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. It was really great. This is really good. Is there anything that you would like to add that I've missed? I would love people to reach out to me, check out my new website, healthteamnetwork.com. You can find me on LinkedIn, and I'm sure you're going to put in show notes for people to find me. And if people from this show only, if you want to have an assessment to see how well you're handling toxins in your environment, then I think you can do this in Canada. And if I'm wrong, then we'll go to plan two. But you can text 26786. And at 26786, you're going to text the initials M as in Mary, D as in dog, Q as in queen. So MDQ. And then you will be tied in with me and you'll get that questionnaire that I give my high clients so that we can assess where they're at and seeing whether or not they're a candidate to do a detox, if they need to do a detox. And then we can talk, you can schedule a time with me and we can talk about how you can go from point A to Z and get unstuck and you can look for and you can have everything that you've ever wanted in your life. Well, perfect. There you go. Yeah. I'll put that yeah. into the summary is what I put, put, put that into. Okay. Thanks very much right. for your time. I really, really, really appreciate it. 
All right. Awesome. Okay, See you later. Okay. Thank I would like to thank Dr. Pat for that informative, motivational, and life-changing interview. Just to recap some of the highlights. She talked about the similarities and the differences between the more traditional Western medicine that we know and the alternative or Eastern methods of medicine. In doing so, she explains why she pursued chiropractic school and what that was like. And with that, there are some good tips on what a good chiropractor should be doing. Some really good advice if we're looking for a chiropractor. She talks about purchasing her chiropractic practice and how she grew that business. Some really good advice on networking and growing a business. She talks about why she decided to attend acupuncture school and what that was like. And more importantly, what this field involves. She talked about her experience in writing her book, Why Are You So Sick and Tired and Fat? And starting and developing her online business, Ask Dr. Pat. Again, more lessons in networking and building a brand. Throughout this interview, there are many tips and advice she shared on how to live a healthier life and how to prevent disease. She narrows everything down to five key points, which she calls the five pillars of health, which are proper diet and exercise, good sleep habits, a positive mental attitude, and good posture. In the end, she puts it, it is our choice how we want to live. We can be an elite sports car or a beater or something in between. The choice is ours. And with that, again, I really want to thank Dr. Pat. Please tune in for the next episode of The Career Guy, where I am interviewing Sean Tyler Foley, a life in acting, geomatics, safety, public speaking, and being an author. Also, for more episodes and blogs, please visit The Career Guy website, www.thecareerguy.ca. And thanks for listening and your support.